Let's open our Bibles, please, to uh, Psalm 140. And this is a plea of David for deliverance. Psalm 140. The very first thing he says, Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man. You know, it's a prayer for deliverance from the evil man. If we do not believe that there are evil men, well, then we have our head in the sand. Because there are evil men. There are more people that don't want to do good than there are that want to do good. And when you get out dealing with the public and the world, you'll find that almost everyone, or the majority, are for themselves and for the dollar. And uh, a lot of folks don't mind how they get it. And Paul tells us, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we have to face the fact that there are those kind of people. And uh, David said, deliver me. O Lord, from the evil man. He says, preserve me from the violent man. A plea for, for deliverance from the violent man. Jesus even warned us. He says, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. That's pretty violent, isn't it? That's in Luke 10, verse 3. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says, as sheep among wolves. And he says, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He tells us how to react against the evil and the violent man. In verse 2, I want you to notice, it says, "...which imagine mischief in their heart, continually are they gathered together for war." Look at this. The heart of the wicked is spoken of. They imagine mischief in their heart. Remember in the days of Noah, God looked down and He said, He saw that the heart of man, He says, that every imagination of of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. No wonder He found it in His heart to bring judgment Upon a wicked world. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 verse 16. That destruction and misery are in their ways. That's a wicked heart isn't it? And notice it says. uh, They're gathered together for war. There's an army of evildoers. That are never satisfied unless they're fighting about something. You know James says. From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not from within? If we could remove the evil from the hearts of men, the wars would cease. But the terrible thing about it, there will always be evil men until Jesus comes and makes things right. And that's why there will be always wars. He says you shall hear wars and rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. And they're going to keep on. He says these things have to be, need to be, and must be. I want you to notice verse 3. We find the sharp tongue of the wicked. It says, They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adders, poison, is under their lips. Romans chapter 3 verse 13 says, With their tongues they have used deceit. We know that the tongue is deceitful, isn't it? Beginning with verse 4, David prays for protection. Look at verse 4. And he prays for protection from the hands of the wicked. It says, Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purpose to overthrow my goings. So his prayer was, From the hands of the wicked. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. The Lord is our keeper, isn't it? And from the violent man. You know, Satan is behind all these acts of violence and and wickedness and sin. And as uh, Brother Walker was praying a little bit ago, it seems like on every hand... Even in good families where they try to do right, well, Satan gets in and tries to disturb things and cause problems. And we, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. That means be wide awake for your adversary, listen, the devil. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Someone says, well, 
You know, I've heard that, that the devil's like a roaring lion. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. What am I to do? You know, a lot of times we don't read far enough. The next verse tells us what to do. You know what it says? Whom resists steadfast in the faith. And then it goes on to tell that we need not be surprised about it because your brethren also have these problems. In other words, it's not something that's just for one of us. It's all of us face it. And so the next verse, that's 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe, verse 8, and then read verse 9 and 10, and it will show you those other things. And then from the traps of the proud, look at verse 5. The proud have hid a snare for me. A snare, like a trap. Uh, and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me, Selah. What's he talking about? The traps of the proud and the wicked. And verse 6 shows David's confidence. He says, I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. David was confident that God would hear his prayer. Are you confident that God hears and answers prayer? The Bible tells us that he will, that he does. And I'm confident that even in this congregation, we have a living evidence of answered prayer in our midst. In more than one person, more than one family. Uh, John says this in 1 John chapter 5, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. But notice, it's if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Now, that doesn't mean you go and pray for something that you know before you even ask that it's not according to God's will. If you do that, you know. It's like James says, if a man asks this way, he asks amiss that he may consume it upon his own lust. And so, don't think that God's going to hear a prayer that's selfish and self-centered. He's not going to hear that prayer. Well, he hears it, but he's not going to answer it. You know, he hears everything. But as far as answering it, he's not going to answer it. He doesn't give us everything we need and everything we want all the while. Sometimes we ask for the wrong things. I have a poem on sometimes. I'll read it to you. Sometimes we ask for the wrong things. But anyway, the Lord does hear and answer our prayers. David had experienced divine protection. Look at verse 7 in battles. He says, Thou, uh, O God, the Lord, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, Thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. He experienced divine protection time and time again. Remember old Saul had a threw a javelin at him, tried to get him, and Saul was a bitter enemy, and yet David would not take advantage of King Saul because Saul was an anointed king, and David uh, permitted him to go on, and he escaped for his life. You know, David was like you and I, though, in the midst of all that opposition. One day he said, uh, I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. And he never did. Sometimes you and I, you and I, get afraid of what's going to happen and our fears are unjustified. And uh, we just keep on fearing something's going to happen. This never happened to David. Do you fear something's going to happen? You say, well, what will I do when this happens? Well, suppose it doesn't happen. And then then suppose it does. Face it when it does, right? I have a look. Let's see. I usually have some stuff here. Let's see if I can find something. Ulcers are what you get from mountain climbing over molehills. <laughs> That's what it is. And some people grumble because roses have thorns. I'm thankful that thorns have roses. A good exercise for the heart is to bend down and help another up. And then contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, listen, but the real realization of how much you already have. Contentment. 
It's not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. There's a whole lot of things we need to take into consideration when we consider the troubles and problems that we, we imagine. We don't want to be little factories that just manufacture problems ahead of time, do we? Some people have a trouble factory built in, you know. It's just built in there. And well, now look, what will happen if this happens? What will happen if that happens? By the way, uh, it's easy to do too, isn't it? So, let's look at this next verse. Verse 8 says, Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, further not his, de- his wicked device, device, lest they exalt themselves. The desire of the wicked is to be denied. And he was praying that God would deny the desire of the wicked. And he's speaking about the, the uh, boasting of proud men. He says, lest they exalt themselves. Remember, old Herod exalted himself and gave not God the glory. Let me read Psalm 37 for you. A couple of verses, 35 and 36. Psalm 37. Let's see if I have the right verses. No, 12. Psalm 37, verses 12 through 15. It says, The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be of upright Conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. God is able to stop all that, isn't he? Proud boasting of the wicked. I want us to look at verse 9, and we'll see what he says about revenge. His enemies should suffer from their own doings. Look at verse 9. Hold your place where we're studying in our text. As for the head of those that compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. You see, sometimes it backfires on folks. And they will suffer from their own doings. In Psalm 7, let me begin reading with verse uh, 11, I believe it is. Psalm 7, verse 11. It says this, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. See, God recognizes there's righteous and wicked. He says, he judgeth the righteous, he's angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will whet his sword. The wicked man doesn't repent and turn. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He hath ordained his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and is fallen into the ditch which he made. Isn't that something? He made a pit for someone else to fall in, but he fell in their own pit. The pit that he digged for for others. It says, His mischief shall return upon his own head. It says, And his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Because uh, David knew in that psalm, in 7th Psalm, that his enemies should suffer from their own doings. We have incidents in the Bible where it's happened. Remember old Haman, he made a gallows for Mordecai. And they they finally ended up when it was brought to light. And they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had made for Mordecai. He made a place to hang that good Jew. And God turned it around and revealed all the wickedness of Haman through a process of things that happened. And he had the advantage because he was close to the king. Haman did. And he could have... If he had a kept doing right, he would not have suffered this problem. But he, he tried to do other folks in and do dirty and do awful things. And finally it backfired on him, didn't it? And do you know when you do that, it's going to come around too. 
If you'll try to do what's right, God will see to it that, that some way the victory will be yours. You may, don't mean, it doesn't mean you won't have uh, troubles and trials and persecutions and problems to face, but he'll turn it around. Let's look at the latter part of this chapter now. We're in Psalm 40, verse uh, 10 says, Let burning coals fall upon them, let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. So his enemies will come to final and complete destruction. Verse 11, Let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. He's not going to be established. And he's going to be overthrown. The doom of the violent man. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Look at the next verse. Verse 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted. The Lord will take care of the afflicted. And then it says, and the right of the poor, he'll take care of the poor. The one says, the Bible says in Proverbs 22:16, the one that oppresses the poor shall surely come to naught. And then the last verse, verse 13, surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. So the righteous appreciate God's blessings and give thanks for unto his name. And then all the saved will dwell in his presence, ultimately. Let's look at Psalm 141, if you will. Now, this is David in trouble. This, this psalm takes on a different, little different uh, uh, demeanor. And uh, it may have been written while David was at Ziklag, and uh, his cry went up to God when he was in trouble. The Bible tells us that we should call upon God in the time of trouble. Let's see if it's uh, Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's a sermon in the sword of the Lord. Brother <clears throat> Nichols was referring to the sword of the Lord. The papers are back in the corner in that uh, uh, display in the corner. And so pick up one of them. But I was reading right before anyone got here tonight to church where... Uh, one of the preachers had an article in there about teaching people to pray and said uh, a part of the article said the people were talking about their problems said, I guess we'll just have to pray about it. And this, I think it's Brother Hudson. And he said, well, they should have prayed about it. I thought I'd been teaching them to pray about it before it got that bad. And you know, sometimes we, we fail to realize that we, we're to call in time of trouble. And when it gets so bad, well, man's... Extremity is God's opportunity, of course. He says, Lord, I look at Psalm 141, verse 1. It says, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear to my, unto my voice when I cry unto thee. So his cry was unto the Lord. And he was in dead earnest. He says, uh, give ear to my voice. It was an urgent appeal. He wanted God to hear. And he says, when I cry unto thee. By the way, notice David didn't say, if I cry unto thee. He said, when? You know what Jesus said about praying? He said, when thou prayest. He didn't say, if thou prayest, did he? He says, when thou prayest. It ought to be a habit of our lives. It ought to be uh, morning, noon, and night. It ought to be during the day. It ought to be as we go about our work and play. Whatever we're doing. We ought to have an attitude of prayer about it. And sometimes we fail to maintain that attitude of prayer. We should really concentrate on Praying about, you go on, on your job, pray about your work. You stay at home, you're in the kitchen, in the house, doing the housework, pray about your work. Pray during the day, pray for yourself, pray for others. 
and it'll pay off. And this was an urgent appeal that David was making. Notice he says, when I cry unto thee. And notice it was not just praying a formal prayer. When I cry unto thee, he was in dead earnest, wasn't he? In verse 2 he says, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. What is he talking about? David's prayer was meant to be pleasing and acceptable unto the Lord as a sweet incense to God. Remember the whole burnt offering? You study the book of Leviticus and you have the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, the whole burnt offering. You have the meal or the meat offering. All these offerings are representative. And the whole burnt offering was that which was offered up as a sweet incense and a sweet savor unto God. In the book of of, uh, Ephesians, no, yes, Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it is, verse 2. Let me read verse 1 and 2. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now listen, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Now listen. And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So when Christ gave himself for us, it was not only for our sins, but it was an offering for us, an offering and a sacrifice unto God. So, in Christ's offering for us, that was the sin offering, and the trespass offering, and the peace offering. But then when he was offering himself as a sacrifice unto God for a sweet-smelling savor, that was the whole burnt offering. He was giving himself totally and wholly up to God to do the will of God. So, in the... In the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, all of this was involved. He was not only dying for our sins. He was not only making a provision for our trespasses after we've been saved from the penalty of sin. He was not only making peace with God for us, but he was giving himself wholly to God to fulfill what offering and sacrifice God had purposed that he fulfill as a sweet-smelling savor unto God. And how are we to do it? Walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And when we walk as we ought to, we're offering ourselves up the same way. Okay, Psalm 142, verse 2. Let let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. They were to offer a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. He, David wanted his prayer to be pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. The, the final prayer of the day was the evening sacrifice. Uh, look at verse 3. It says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Set a watch, a guard, before the door, uh, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Keep or to guard or to watch over. Someone said, well, surely I can take care of my mouth and my lips. You better have God to take care of it. Because we say things, you know, we, we speak when sometimes in desperation we're prone to make statements that we will regret later. And sometimes soon regret. It may not be much later till we regret. Used to have a little saying, be careful of the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet. You never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. So you, if you're going to eat them, you better have sweet ones. Have you? So David did not want to make the same mistake that Moses made by making some rash statements. Moses, you know, he had his ups and downs of life. First of all, Moses said, I can't even speak. He says, give me a spokesman, someone to speak for me. God said to Moses, he says, who made man's mouth and man's tongue, man's lips? Who made, uh, who made you to be able to speak and to hear? And Moses says, but I'm not eloquent. 
Finally, the Lord, he wouldn't take the first place and the best place. And he may have stuttered around like I do and some others. But still, God would have used him. But he said, no, I have to have a spokesman. So God says, okay, I'll give you Aaron, your brother, to be your spokesman. So instead of taking the first and the best place God has for us, sometimes we say, well, I can't do it. And when you say you can't do it, he said, well, I'll give you someone to help you then. Moses is one could have had it all. Sometimes someone says, well, you know, it's too big a load for me to carry it all. Well, if God gives you the load, he'll give you the strength to carry it. And then later on, remember when Moses said, you know, this, this, all this congregation murmuring children of Israel in the wilderness and all their problems that they had. He says, Lord, that load is so heavy to bear. And God said, and he threw Jethro, his father-in-law. They discussed it and he took the advice of his father-in-law to get so many, 70 elders, was it? And divide up the, the uh, responsibilities and the great matters to bring before Moses and the other smaller matters to bring before the elders. And it says he took of the spirit that was the strength, the spirit that was upon Moses, and he distributed it to the others. You see, the same power was doing the whole job, but it was just divided up. Moses had to surrender some of his power and ability to carry on when he could have done it, but it was finally distributed out to others, and they had to do the same work. But it was the same power, the same amount of power that was in Moses when he was able to do it all. Sometimes don't complain about your job. There may be a hundred others try to help you. And they might not do it like you want it done either. So then you have no reason to complain when that happens, do you? You say, well, I complained that it was too much for me. And so now I've got fellas and I don't know. A lot of them is not doing to suit me. And that, that's exactly what will happen eventually. So the next thing, look. He says in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Incline not my heart to any evil thing. To practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. That's verse 4. Well, there's a lot of stuff here. David wanted his heart to be kept in tune with God. He says, incline not my heart to any evil thing. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And you and I have to keep our hearts right if we keep our lives right. It's very necessary for us to check up on the inside. I mean almost daily. In fact, almost hourly, right? We need to check up on the inside. Keep thy heart with all diligence. He said in one place, Search me, O Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And here he says, uh, uh, incline, incline not my heart to any evil thing. He wants God to give him the inclination to do what's right. He wanted his heart to be kept true to, to the Lord. We, we pray in the, in the prayer, model prayer, Lead us not into temptation. And neither did David accept the favors of the ungodly. Look at the last part of that verse. Let me not eat of their dainties. Sometimes the ungodly. It says, uh, to practice the works of, with wicked men that work iniquity and let me not eat of their dainties. Sometimes we become too close to the ungodly. Then you almost have to surrender to some of the things they want you to do. So that means you're to be separate from the ungodly. Look at that very carefully. This is a good verse. Notice what it says. Incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity and let me not eat of their dainties. In verse 5, let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil. Which shall not break my head, nor yet my prayer, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. 
Notice here. David cheerfully endured the reproof of good men in Israel who did not understand him. In Proverbs 9 and verse 8, it says this. Give instruction to a wise... I mean, uh, in verse 8 rather. Reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. You see, sometimes we cannot take the rebuke or the correction that we need. Listen to that verse again. It says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. There are some people who will not be reproved, will not be corrected. We need to be men of reason. Do we not? God says, Come now and let... God's, God reasons with us. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. And good men need to be a men, men of reason. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will... Uh, be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. A whole cluster of verses there that are good to, to study. Verse 5 says, look at this. Let the, uh, let the righteous smite me, it shall be kindness. And let, them, let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil. Now look at this. Which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. David was willing to pray for those who persecuted him. My prayer shall be in their calamities. Do, do you and I pray when the wicked, uh, you can see that they're being judged? Do we pray that they'll turn to God so that they can relieve themselves of the judgment that's upon them? He says, my prayer shall be in their calamities. Verse 6, notice what it says. It says, when their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. David knew that there would be a time that his words would be accepted and regarded as sweet. David knew that a calamity would come to King Saul, and yet he would pray for him. Verse 7, our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. David's hope looked, looked uh, hopeless for a while. He says, our bones are scattered. Look at verse 8. But mine eyes are unto thee, O Lord, O God the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. What's he saying? The Lord was David's only hope, only source of true hope. Verse 9, Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. He needed divine aid to avoid the snares of the devil. Keep me. Do you need divine help, divine aid from the snares of the devil? That's what he says. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins, traps, uh, of the workers of iniquity. Verse 10. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while, uh, whilst that uh, with all escape let them fall into their own nets. David expected to escape the traps of the wicked through the Lord and he knew they would fall into their own nets. Look at Psalm 142 as we continue. In times of distress, look at this one. It says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. Here we have a cry of anguish. We have David's appeal to the Lord. You know, there are some of our problems that we can't solve ourselves and the Lord has to be brought into the picture. There's a voice in his prayer. Notice, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. The cry was a prayer. The voice was a prayer. That means it was in all sincerity. And then notice verse 2. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. Our complaint should be made known to the Lord. 
and not published abroad. Sometimes we complain to others when we should be pouring out our complaint before the Lord and just opening it up and not complain, not complaining against the Lord, but showing Him our real problem. Instead of scattering it abroad and publishing it abroad, as many seem to do. By the way, when you tell a lot of folks your problems, they don't care anyway. Did you know that? In fact, they say, I wish that guy would quit grumbling and complaining. And, you know, the way we appear in public sometimes is a disgrace. So we ought to remember how this sounds like to other people. Sometimes we complain about a perfectly justifiable thing in the community, whatever it is. And, you know, we others could see our point, but the way we make to do over it, it almost irritates other folks. Sometimes we just, well, go ahead and don't fight City Hall and forget it all, right? And uh, you'll be better off. So, uh, because people take a, a, an exception to it, even though they know what you're saying is true, if you come off belligerent or arrogant about it, they say, yeah, I see your point, but. But they don't agree with the way you presented it. And so we need to be careful, don't we? And so let's lay our problems before the Lord. I showed before Him my trouble. I showed before what? Before Him my trouble. Look at verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path, and the way wherein I walked have they privily laid a snare for me. Now, he's telling God this. He's not telling everyone else. When my spirit was overwhelmed, sometimes our cause may seem hopeless like David's. And when this spirit is overwhelmed, then we need to turn to God. And we'll find that He will help us. Look at verse 4. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. David was friendless. And there were none that were willing to take a stand with him. When you get to a place you're friendless and nobody will take their stand with you, it's kind of lonely, isn't it? No help. No one to help. This certainly pleases the enemy. That's why God's people need to join together and dwell together in unity. And there's strength in unity when we're all together and all doing the same thing and all have the same mind and heart. It says, let, let us be of one mind and one heart. And it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. We ought to be servants. He was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So if we'll keep the friends that we have and have people stand with us, and none would stand with David at times, none would stand with Paul at times, and yet it's very disappointing to be in that condition. So that's why as a church we need to stand together. It says, No man cared for my soul. Isn't that a sad Word, no man cared for my soul. I was called upon to preach a funeral this morning. Called upon yesterday. Come to find out it was going to be there. and They had no preacher. And I won't tell you all the details and all the things that were discouraging about it. But, you know, anyone's entitled. If you lived upon this earth, regardless of situation or circumstances, you got some, some family that's bereaved. There was a daughter and a son. And a little grandson. They're entitled for some preacher to come at least and try to bring a little love and comfort and assurance and bring some of God's Word. If you knew all the details, you'd be saddened about it. But anyway, 
anytime anyone has called upon me. One time there was a up in the funeral home, a little colored girl had been dead there three or four days. They'd been looking for a preacher to preach a funeral. They couldn't get a preacher to preach a funeral. I happened in there was talking, and I said, well, whoever it was at the time, it wasn't Danny there then. I said, well, I'd be glad to take care of it. Boy, they called the mother down there and redosed it down, and she come up there, and they just thrilled to pieces to find someone to preach the funeral. My goodness, how cruel, I mean, how slack, how can preachers be? What's wrong with that? So anyway, I'll go on with this. Let's look at this next verse. It says, uh, uh, And no man cared for my soul. When you could find uh, no man caring for one's body, and then no one caring for one's soul, that's really deep, isn't it? In verse 5 it says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. It says, I cried unto thee. The only safe place of refuge is in the Lord. And the only portion we have is in the Lord. The Bible says we fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. In the Old Testament, there were cities of refuge. There were three on one side Jordan and three on the other side Jordan. They were convenient for on both sides. God placed these cities of refuge at very strategic places. Six cities of refuge. God wanted them to be convenient. God wanted them to be near. He was saying that He is for a refuge and a near refuge, and a convenient refuge, for a quick refuge, for a safe refuge, for any and all. Because it was provided everywhere that they needed one. And Jesus is that one that is near, that one that's convenient, that one that's safe, that one that's offered for the refuge of all. And you and I should, as uh, the Bible says, flee for refuge. And it says, and my portion... The Lord is my portion. He's the bread of life. He's the living water of life. Remember he told the woman of Samaria, I'll give unto thee living water. Whoso drinketh of this water of Jacob's well shall thirst again, but whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him, it shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You and I, every day of our lives as Christians, experience this living, continuous flow of heavenly water and the bread for our souls. He says, I'm the bread of life. He says, whoever eats of this bread shall live forever. I'm the true bread which came down from heaven. How do you eat of that bread? He says, verily, verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. So you eat of that bread by faith. In John chapter 6, the same context as the bread of life. Look over John chapter 6. And we'll see the context so you'll see how it comes together. <clears throat> Look at John 6 verse uh, thirty. 35. It says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So what is it? He's the bread of life. To eat of that bread, to apply that, to satisfy your hunger, you have to come. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. So that's the way you eat of that bread, and you won't hunger, right? And it says, And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So it's by faith as well as coming. Uh, down in verse 47, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. He that believeth, how do you eat? How do you have everlasting life? He's the living bread that gives you everlasting life. It's by believing on Him. He says, I am that bread of life. 
He says, Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. So in verse 47, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Here it says, He shall live forever. Same thing. Believing. You eat and believing, you live forever. And the bread which I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And by the way, this same bread sustains you. Verse 57. He says, As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father. I am sustained by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. So it's not only eating to have everlasting life, but it's it's life-sustaining bread. And that's what I was referring to a minute ago. That it's through that continuous eating of that bread of life that we're sustained day by day. It says, This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. They ate it every day through forty years in the wilderness. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So it's not only to give us everlasting life, but it's life-sustaining bread. Back in our psalm quickly, and we'll try to finish this one before we close. I want you to notice verse uh, uh, 6. We have two verses left. Verse 6 and 7. It says, Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Are we ever brought very low? We ask God to attend to our cry. Two reasons why David cried unto the Lord. He says, For I am brought very low. And he says, Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Two things. He was low in spirit, and he was outnumbered by the enemy. And then the last verse, and we'll close. It says, bring my soul out of prison. That's deliverance, isn't it? Bring my soul out of prison. And he says, uh, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. I'll be around good people. For thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Now, who, who is the ray of hope? David's ray of hope was in the Lord. In God's deliverance. And then he would be able to praise God. And he would be a, in good company, righteous Righteous, the righteous shall compass me about, and for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. We sing a song, count our blessings. We have many more blessings than sometimes we can count, but do we always give God credit for them? Well, we thank you for your patience and your kind attention. We'll pick up with our next psalm, uh, Wednesday.